As we're here in Matthew 27, I've got to be honest with you, I want to start with the story uh, about a couple of eight-year-olds. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I love eight-year-olds for some reason. Uh, I heard this story about an eight-year-old boy in Ohio who wanted a cheeseburger so desperately that he got behind the wheel of his dad's van and drove himself and his little sister to the local McDonald's. Can you believe that? Eight-year-old. You guys hear about that? Anyone here? So according to the police, he just kind of watched some YouTube video on how to drive a car, after which he chauffeured his sister to the McDonald's half a mile from the home while his parents were sleeping. I mean, I, mean, I used to do that as a 15-year-old, to be honest with you, but an 8-year-old? I mean, think about that. So witnesses say the 8-year-old obeyed all the traffic laws. He made his stops at the lights. Uh, he waited for traffic to pass by before he made his left turn. He stayed within the speed limits all those things, right? But when the two siblings pulled up to the drive through window with their piggy bank, uh, <laughs> the McDonald's workers were convinced it was a prank. And so they thought the parents were in the back of the van, but they weren't. And so later, when confronted by the police, the little boy uh, did admit he'd done something wrong, but he told them with tears in his eyes, I just wanted a cheeseburger. <laughs> And I don't know about you, you know, but that story kind of makes me laugh. I thank God they're okay. And it also, it's a lesson for us. Hide your keys, parents, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the pendulum then swings. As you're, as you're watching the news and you're reading about an 8-year-old, things like this happen. Then it swings to the other direction, from laughing to crying. You know, maybe you heard the story about a young, you know, 8-year-old, Jonathan Martinez. Less than a week ago, he was where he belonged in school, by his teacher's side, when a man came into the class with a gun and killed his teacher and him. The gunman wasn't necessarily aiming for him, but nevertheless, that day, that little boy died. You know, and and we need to take note of this type of news you know, praying for the families, uh, being proactive, and what, what do we need to do to make this world a better place for eight-year-olds? What do we do to make a difference? We're confronted with those things. We're also confronted with the fact that any day may be our last day. No matter who you are, we must always, always, always be ready. You know, I think of that song, and I'm sorry, it's an old song, but... You know, I'll be honest with you, I listen to it every time I run because it makes me think. The last day of the rest of my life, I wish I would have known because I had to kiss my mama goodbye. I didn't tell her that I loved her and how much I care and, or thank my pops for all the talks and all the wisdom he shared. Unaware, I just did what I always do. Every day, same routine before I skate off to school. But who knew that this day wasn't like the rest instead of taking the test, I took two to the chest. You see, newsflash, that's the world we live in. Oh, it'll never happen to me. Well, that's what they said. You know, I don't say that to muster up fear. To be honest with you, I say that to muster up faith. That when we die, when our loved ones die one day, when we face death, however that might be, we will not fear. We will look death, you know, square in the face with faith, ready for that day. Because the truth is, it's not until we're ready to face death that we're really ready to face life. 
Now, we will not be able to face life or death until we completely embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can trust him in death because he defeated it, right? True story about a missionary who wanted to teach a group of people the significance of the resurrection of Christ. And he said to them, he said, suppose I'm traveling and I've reached a place where the road branches off in many different directions. I don't know which way to go, so I look for a guide. I find two of them with guide badges on their chest. And so I look to them, but one's dead and the other's alive. Question, which one do I ask for directions? The dead or the living? And even though these guys that he was teaching were wet behind the ears, they knew the answer to that question. You ask the one who's living. Well, if that's the case in the travels of this life, how much more in preparing for the next life? You see, we follow the one who is alive. We follow Jesus. He said he was alive. Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And because I live, you can live too. You know, we, we see this story here. You've got to know this whole thing. And today I want to share with you, I think there's four types of people here. And let's see if you guys can discover who you are, Okay. Matthew 27, I actually want to start reading in verse 57. It says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And this man, he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him, and when Jesus had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. So here we read that, you know, Joseph of Arimathea had become a disciple of Christ, asked for and was given the privilege and responsibility of burying the body of Jesus. Of course, he had help. There was Nicodemus, according to John, and the ladies as well, who wrapped and prepared his body for burial. But they did so hastily because they didn't have much time due to the Sabbath, and so they planned on finishing it up later, right? And so they put him in a tomb, hewn out of a rock. We would call it more of a cave. They rolled the stone in place to essentially close it and bury him, thinking it was done. So we read next in verse 62, On the next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees, they gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And so you've got to know the background. Here we read that Matthew tells us there were guards at the tomb at the request of the religious leaders, the chief priests and Pharisees, to make sure that no one stole the body. You know, they sealed the stone, which was probably done by tying ropes across it, fastening either end of the rock with cement or wax of some kind, and in that wax there would be a certain symbol impressed to make 100% sure that no one messed with the body. 
His body was then guarded by soldiers, Roman soldiers. It's common knowledge that in the days of the Roman Empire, if a soldier failed in his duty and allowed a prisoner to escape, that soldier would suffer the consequences. In this case, he would die, so he would not allow anyone to steal that body. Believe you me, they guarded it well. But as you, many of you know, there is no amount of ropes or Romans or stones or seals or soldiers in the whole wide world that could have held our Savior down. So we read in Matthew 28 in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards tripped out. They shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and indeed, he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so, you know, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, interesting combination. They ran to bring his disciples' word, but check this out, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them there saying, and I love this, rejoice. I love that. He, he met them there and he just said, rejoice. Imagine the joy of seeing him alive. And so they came and, and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And they saw him. So many saw him. So many eyewitnesses saw him. Mary Magdalene, the three women who had gone to the tomb, Peter personally saw him. The two on the road to Emmaus, the ten disciples without Thomas, then the eleven with him, the seven at the Sea of Galilee, as did James, the brother of Jesus. So many saw him. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, informs us that that Jesus was seen by over 500 people at once. And when Paul wrote that letter 19 years later, most of those people were still alive, and they can testify to the truth that Jesus is alive. So here we are, 2,000 years later, And, you know, maybe you're wondering, what difference does it make? How does that fact, that act, how does it impact me today? And what I'd like to do this morning to do my best, connect the dots, because I know there are people here in different places who need to know what happened back then is very important and can help us now. You know, that we're going to see the sisters, the sinners, the sons, and the saints. And believe it or not, all that was just an introduction uh, right now. So, you guys ready? Long sermon? I don't have any plans, so I'm telling you, man. <laughs> Let's turn to John chapter 11. 
I'm just joking. I do have plans. John 11, you know, we look first of all at the sisters. The sisters. You know, if you read the chapter, you'll find that something bad had happened to Lazarus. He was sick. He was deathly ill. And so they sent for Jesus. They thought surely he would heal him, right? I mean, Jesus was good friends of the family. He would stay with them at their house at times. The Bible says he loved them in John chapter 11, verse 3, and John 11, verse 5. But when they asked Jesus to come and heal Lazarus, he didn't. He didn't go right away. He waited two more days before leaving. And in his delay, combined with his travel time, Lazarus died. So when Jesus arrived there in Bethany, everyone was grieving, everyone was mourning, everyone was crying at the loss, at the passing, at the death of their loved one. I wonder, have you ever been there? Now, I'm sorry to say that most of us have, and if not, we will be there one day when a dear loved one dies. You know, when you're there and they die and you wonder, is that it? You know, I'll never see them again. I love them so much, it doesn't make sense. And I don't know if any of you are married uh, here today. Anyone here married, just out of curiosity? just want to see you out at the marriage fellowship coming up. You know, um, I don't know if you guys are like me and my wife. Every once in a while, we talk about who's going to go first. Do you guys ever have that conversation, or is it just us being weird? Anyways, you know, she thinks she's going to go first, but I think I will because I eat more cheese, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure Jesus loves me more. So anyways, I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to go first. But here's the thing. I'll tell you what. If she does go first, It'll be the hardest thing in my life. I know that. You know, we've been together forever. We've been together in the good times. We've been in the bad times. And even though we butted heads more than a few times, she's, she's been my girl, my wife. We've been together for the past 31 years. We got together when we were two. And so... Uh, <laughs> You know, and so um, we just, this is, this, is, this is my life. She's my better half. But what if? You know, what if I, I lose her one day? What if, you know, your child dies? They say a parent should never have to bury their child. But, you know, we live in a fallen world, and tragically it happens sometimes. You know, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to to do was as a chaplain knock on the door of those parents down the street in Elmont in order to inform them that their 19-year-old son had died. You see, this is the life, this is the world that we live in. And so you, you know, you face those things and then you come to things like today and you ask the question, what does Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago mean to me today? And here's the thing, that when you're there and that loved one passes you will be comforted with the truth that in Christ, you will see them again. You will be reconciled with your child, your wife, your husband, your dad, your grandparents. We will be reunited. And I can think of so many people here and so many people's parents and moms and dads and grandparents that come to heart. You know, Papa Frank, Pastor Chuck, we will be reunited with them again. 
How do we know that? What's well, interesting, because Lazarus had two sisters, and they, they kind of represent two kinds of people. You know, when Jesus arrived there, Martha went to Jesus in that difficult time. You know, and, and so the Lord shared with her as Martha went to him. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, you've got to know that about your loved one who has died in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And even though, you know, he's dead, he's alive, Jesus said, because of me. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Because of my power, because of who I am. And then he didn't just say it. He didn't just talk smack. He proved it by rising from the dead. You know, that was Martha. And the Lord ministered to her as she went to him. But here's the thing. Mary didn't go to Jesus. Mary knew he was there, but she didn't go to him immediately. He had to call her. And here's the thing I've discovered in life, that sometimes when a loved one dies, those who are left behind here on planet Earth, they don't go to God. You know, they might even get angry with God, thinking that God doesn't care. They're upset. God, how could you let my loved one die? I I have a strange feeling that that was going on in, in Mary's heart. And so Jesus had to call her. We read that in verse 28. Maybe you're here today and you're angry that God allowed your loved one to die. And I'll tell you what, I know it hurts. I can't even begin to fathom the pain. I know it's hard. But that's why Jesus is calling you to him. If you go to him, watch what happens. Look at verse 32 of John 11. It says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, notice he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then look at those two words there in verse 35. Jesus wept Jesus wept you know death was not his doing death is a result of our sin but please understand that for every tear we cry he cries a thousand more you see he also weeps and we learn that through these sisters you guys probably know the story in case you don't Jesus went on to raise Lazarus from the dead just demonstrating his power over death. Not just for Mary, but for us, that we might know that that's not the end. And this is God's heart. You know, I think of my loved ones in Christ who have gone on. I I miss them, but I I don't want to... Honestly, they don't miss me. They're in glory, man. They're with God. We have to know this. And it comforts us when we put it all together. You see, we learn from the sisters. And then we learn from these sinners. So for that, let's go to Luke 23. 
And we kind of pick it up in the middle of the crucifixion. And notice in verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. The Bible doesn't tell us their crime, why they were being executed, but it does tell us out of their own mouths that they knew they deserved it. And so at first, when you read the Bible, both of these thieves, these sinners, reviled him. We read that in Mark 15, 32. They hurled insults, uh, insults, condemned, criticized. They blasted him with their words. But here's the thing. As they watched Christ suffer and die and forgive his offenders and take care of his mom and things like that, and who knows? We don't know, but maybe while they were up there on the cross, maybe the Lord was reaching out to them and talking to them while he's dying. We don't know for sure. We do know that there were two different reactions. One sinner hardened his heart, while the other opened his heart. And in simplicity, if you think about it, it's so simple. All he did was say, you know, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, most assuredly, in the Greek language, it's, Amen, amen, most assuredly, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ not only comforts me when my loved ones die, it comforts me when I die. And one day we'll be there. You know, maybe you'll have a warning. You're going to get the news from the doctor. You've got a certain amount of time left, that terminal illness, and you'll be walking down that valley of the shadow of death for a season. You're not alone because he's with you, and you're not afraid. Maybe you won't get a warning. Maybe it'll come suddenly in a second or a split second. So I can almost hear someone say, Ah, see, that's why I don't like going to church. <laughs> They talk about uh, death. They always talk about death. Well, we don't always talk about death. We've got to talk about death this weekend for sure because he died and rose again, right? And so, you know, we do talk about death. But listen, the only reason we talk about death is because we want you to have life and that more abundantly life now and forever, the resurrected life. Just like Jesus, he suffered and died and rose. You must suffer, die, and rise. And the thing about it, you guys, I don't know why we would ever fight or resist the love of God. Look at how easy it is. He did all the hard work by dying on the cross for you and rising from the dead. And, you know, you can have life with these little words that come from your heart. Lord, remember me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I've blown it. Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I struggle. Lord, I need you. And when those little words uttered from your lips come from your heart, you will have life. 
The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, we don't have to do the work because He's already done it. But here's the thing, you know, when you look at it, not everybody admits those things. Not everyone goes to heaven. Look at the story again. There were two thieves. There were two sinners. One died and went to heaven. The other died and went to hell. And he went to hell with the sacrifice of his Savior right there in front of his face. You don't have to go there. Today I pray that you would enter in. It was a special day. There's no doubt about it. You know, when I was uh, sleeping this morning, I, was, I woke up, it was probably about 3.30 in the morning, and I heard the birds singing. And I was like tripping out on that, and maybe I'm wrong. You guys probably know more, the more stuff than I do, but I was thinking, man, the birds don't sing that early. But they were like having this crazy song and, you know, this choir of birds outside my window. And I was like, Lord, what is that? And the Lord just reminded me, today's a resurrection day. And it was kind of like the Lord said to me, that's when I rose. It was cool. This is not just a normal church service, although God always does things Sundays and Thursdays and whenever we get together because he promises to be with us when we gather together in his name. Today is a special day. Today there is power present because so many have prayed. Today is a day that we celebrate the life, the resurrection power that rose him from the dead that's available to you. And that's why today, you're like, well, I tried it before. Not like today. Today, we got to know what's available to us because you know, not everyone goes to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, it's only difficult because so many are not willing to be honest and humble themselves that they need Jesus. How does the resurrection impact us today? I think we learn from the sisters. I think we learn from the sinners. Tell you what, we also learn learn from the sons. Turn back to Luke 15. And this is a a great chapter. I I encourage you to read it when you get a chance. But the backdrop was the religious leaders were criticizing Jesus for hanging out, really reaching out to sinners. And so Jesus responded with three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, uh, you know, the Lord here, you know, he ministers to us. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but you've strayed away. You know, you're, you're lost. Because you've strayed away. And let me tell you something. You will lose if you're lost. So there's the the lost sheep, the first parable. And Jesus says when the shepherd has a hundred sheep, he leaves the hundred, he leaves the ninety-nine, and he goes looking for the one who's lost. And maybe there's just one person here today who's drifted away, who's lost. I want you to know Jesus is here looking for you. Well, there's the last coin, and you read the story there about this woman, and she's so valuable to her that she turns her house upside down looking for it. That's God's heart in search for us to make us right, to bring us back to where we belong. And then there's the, the lost son. He had asked his father, 
for his share of the inheritance, which really he wasn't entitled to until his father died. But he said, hey, Dad, give me money. Disrespected him. But he gave him his share and let him go. Because let me tell you something. God will never force you to love him. He will never force you to serve him. You want to go? You can go. The Lord let him go. The Father let him go. And so the son, he left for the city and he wasted all his money on sex and drinks and drugs and rock and roll. And eventually he ran out of money, couldn't get a decent job. He ended up at the bottom of the barrel. He was empty inside because it doesn't matter. You might have a good job. But you will be empty inside until you fill that void with the love of God. You will always end up in the gutter, always in the bottom of the barrel when you resist God. And so as he's there, a thought came to him. And we pick it up in verse 17 of this chapter. Luke 15, it says, But when he came to himself, one translation says, When he came to his senses, It's like, you know, he's there. He doesn't have to be there. And he just realizes it. It's like a a light turns on. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And I want to stop there because that's what this day is all about. That's the power of the resurrection when someone's dead he brings life you know not that the son was dead physically not that the son was no longer a son necessarily but their relationship was dead you see and the life of our lord that resurrection life of the lord jesus christ you know in his compassion and in his love he's willing to resuscitate and revive and restore those dead relationships when oftentimes we as Christians, we backslide and we go back into the web of this world and we get stuck there. And then days like today, we're like, I got to go to Easter service. And then God meets you there, the day of resurrection, where his power is available for restoration and reconciliation, where sons and daughters come back to their father. And I love that passage in Jeremiah three twenty-two. It says, return. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. You're like, but I tried it, and this, I just can't seem to stay. And God says, you come, and I'll help you, and I'll heal you. But again, looking at the story, it's interesting. There were two. 
the other son, he represented the religious leaders, and there's a good chance that he was just as dead as his brother in his relationship with his father because he was so different. He wouldn't experience that resurrection power because his self-righteousness got in the way. Please, whatever you do, do not allow religion to get in the way. Well, I, was, I went to church all my life, but deep inside you know you don't know him. I think we learn from the sisters and the sinners and the sons. And then one more, real quick. It's found over in Philippians chapter 3. Because I think there's so many different types of people here. We actually also learn from the saints. When you got the devastated sisters who lost their loved one, you got the dying sinner who was facing death himself, you have the distant son who had drifted away, but now what do you have? You have the determined saint. And so we read in Philippians chapter 3, and I just want to pick it up in verse 10 as Paul is talking about how you know, he's left the religion behind. He's not looking back. We're going to see eventually, you know, to where he can see any, you know, failures or successes. He doesn't even do that. You know, he's now been walking with the Lord for about 27 years. He's been used mightily in the ministry. God is this man blessing his life, using his life, but he's not content. He still wants more. When we read that in verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And you're like, well, how does it impact me today? 2,000 years ago, well, it impacts all of us. The one who lost a loved one, the one who's dying themselves, the one who has drifted away, and the one who might be still doing good. And God says there is something about this resurrection power. You can read it in Romans chapter 6 as well. The same power that rose him up from the dead is available to us so that we can walk in newness of life. You're like, well, I, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and I'm involved in ministry, but man, I just, you know, I don't seem to have that consistency. And I remember, Manny, a while back you said, you said it was going to be a banner year. And it's been a bummer year, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, that's why we're here today, man. I'm telling you what, and I believe this with all my heart. This is a day for a new start. This is a day where we can access the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, when you look at this, it's interesting, however. Look again at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You know, there is an actual order to these things. You know, before you rise from the dead, you got to die. And before you die, you got to suffer. The fellowship of his sufferings, a lot of times, though, we don't want to make any sacrifices for God. We don't want to die to self. Then how will you ever live? And that's where we get in trouble. We're like, I want power, I want power. Then die to yourself. He called you to live for him. Why are you still living your own life? 
Why can't we walk in humility, humble ourselves, and allow ourselves to be nailed to a cross the way that he was? I'm here to tell you this, that if we're willing to do that, fellowship of his sufferings, be conformed to his death, then we will know the power of his resurrection. And you're like, well, why do you want power, Manny? Because I want to bench press 225 again. That's why, man. I remember the days. <laughs> no, that's not why. That's not why we want power, right? We want power to know the Lord. That's what he's saying, to know the Lord. The devil's trying to stop me from knowing the Lord. The world, the flesh is trying to stop me from knowing the Lord. I want to know the Lord, and I need power to know the Lord, and I want to make him known. That was Paul. That's exactly where he was. And God used his life, and God will use your life as we understand that he is available to us today. Not just some, you know, generic power. No, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just some, you know, force. It's him. But we have to make that choice. You know, in closing, allow me to share a story about something that took place in the early 1920s, a, a true story about uh, Nikolai Bukharin. This man was sent from Moscow to Kiev in order to address a vast crowd on behalf of the government. And he, he stood before the crowd, vast crowd, for a solid hour, and he reasoned against, and he ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed as if the whole basis of their belief was in ruins. He had dismantled the Christian doctrine. He destroyed their faith, or so he thought. And after he was done talking, smack about Christ, the speaker then opened it up to any questions or comments anyone might have. And so eventually, an elderly gentleman, he rose up and he walked to the podium and he addressed the people with an ancient Easter greeting. He said to them, after that man had said all those things against Christianity, he said to them, Christ is risen. And as he said that to them, suddenly, instantly, and even powerfully, the entire assembly, they rose to their feet and their reply came back like the crashing of waves upon the rocks. They said in enthusiastic unison, He is risen indeed. Just like we were doing earlier. The only thing is you guys didn't stand up. I mean, He is, he is risen. One more time. And you don't have to say it loud. You don't have to say it loud. Just say it from your heart. He is risen. You know, the enemy can try and they will lie and they have their plans, but the truth still stands. He is risen. He is risen indeed.